0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand that made an impact on you as a young girl?
1: You know, I'm going to switch from fashion to something far less glamorous. And I'm going to talk about haulage and trucking. Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? So there is a brand in the UK, um, or a, a kind of a, a lorry trucking company in the UK, Eddie Stobart's, right? And this, this thing, the reason I remember it so well is my dad worked in construction and building. And, um, you used to see when you were on the, when you were traveling in the car, you used to see these huge, trucks, these huge lorries. And they had this branding for for Eddie Stobarts down the side. And they were all named. So they they all had these names. They were named, you know, girls' names or whatever. And the drivers would always, when you waved at them, they would always, you know, honk, honk the horn. And it's only now when I look back at it and I read the story and I now realize it's an amazing marketing story about what this guy did with this firm. He recognized that Basically, people didn't like these massive lorries on the road, like they were a bit of an eyesore and nobody liked driving past them. And he wanted to change that. So he painted them in really bright colours, named them, made the drivers wear shirts and ties, you know, and made this whole experience fun. And I just think I love turning a mundane brand, like a lorry, <laughs> you know, or trucking company into something that actually just brought about a little bit of joy in people's day. So I've never forgotten that brand from a young age. And me and my dad used to spot them.
0: That's a beautiful lesson in marketing, actually what you just reeled through. Yeah,
1: it really is. And I think that's that's one of the things that stood out to me was that was no, that was just taking the product, you know, presenting it differently, the behavior of the people that work there, and, and an insight which was, you know, the, the people don't normally like these things, how will I go about changing it? I think it's very cool.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Susie Watford, the EVP and chief marketing and membership officer of the Wall Street Journal. The Journal is part of the Dow Jones & Company portfolio, which is owned by News Corp. The Wall Street Journal is, of course, one of the most famous brands in the world, dating back to 1889, and it is a surprisingly high-growth brand these days. Last quarter, subscriptions grew 19%, and total subscribers were at a record 3.22 million. No surprise, I am one of them. My guest Susie studied fashion at Surrey University in the UK before beginning a career in journalism marketing. She worked for the News UK, publisher of the Times and the Sunday Times, before moving to the U.S. seven years ago to become CMO at the Wall Street Journal. Susie has a big remit, leading an international team to spearhead the sales and marketing for this iconic diurnal of capitalism. She has said this about her brand, the audience is as interesting as the publication itself. This is my conversation with Susie Watford. Welcome, Susie, to the CMO Podcast. And I have to say up front, thank you for sending me this wonderful coffee mug, which says, decision makers, you have one as well. And for our listeners, we can see each other. (laughs) It says, the Wall Street Journal, trust your decisions. It arrived just this morning before we recorded the podcast. So I'm thanking you for that. And I want to hear the story behind it. I also want to thank you and your team for starting my weekend so well.
1: Oh, I'm so edition. pleased. I'm I so
0: pleased. pop out of bed at like 6 A.M. on Saturday. I walk to get my hard, you know, my paper newspaper. I have yep. your digital and paper editions. And I read it. I love the essays, the reviews, everything about it. And then I go play tennis. And then I come home and read the rest of it.
1: Perfect Saturday
0: it is a perfect Saturday. Perfect Saturday. And then when I'm away from home, which has not been as much as it usually is, um, I love your digital. In fact, I opened up your app this morning when my alarm went off yeah. and I saw Procter & Gamble's earnings,
1: Yeah,
0: so which were <laughs> very good, by the way. So congratulations to all my friends. Uh,
1: I love it. I love that. I love how much um, just we're part of that daily habit. It's nice to hear those stories and that routine.
0: Well, we don't know each other very well. We will in the next hour, but I feel like I'm talking to a good friend because your publication, your brand mm-hmm. has been such a part of my career, going back to business school. And, and your reporters have actually become friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in my office here, I'm back in my office. And after I left Procter & Gamble, Suzanne vranica your top yep. marketing advertising Amazing, reporter, yeah. she did a beautiful story about uh, my career and my next chapter. It's hanging in my office.
1: Love that. We hear that a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, you really yeah. are a very, very significant part of my uh, daily rituals, my learning, my development as a person, as an executive. It's one reason I love the weekend edition. It's so much about the whole human being.
1: Yeah. I love those stories. I love the, um, that role that we've played in people's lives. And, you know, we always talk about from the, from the classroom to the boardroom. That the journal has played this role in so many people's lives, and um, yeah, it's it's amazing to to see it and to be part of that community because it definitely feels like a community of of people and professionals um, who really use the journal in that way. So yeah, I'm it's lovely to hear those stories.
0: You heard a bit of my rituals. What are your favorite rituals with the Wall Street Journal?
1: Um, I like to start the day with the ten points, so the newsletter from our um, editor. Um, which is just a really good way to get that kind of quick snapshot of the news. I still love reading an edition and a print edition. So I think that, you know, that just that that the What's News column, which is, you know, famed for being that one thing that you have to read, is just so, uh, so uh, uh, almost um, functional and informative. That I love reading that um and obviously increasingly now audio is playing a role in in my life and everybody's lives so um yeah t- t- kind of tuning in and listening to the to the journal podcast kind of at the end of the day but um yeah i i just i think alerts and i think the way that news now is you know it used to just be you pick up that newspaper in the morning it would arrive on your on your doorstep and you'd have that ritual but now with the alerts with the podcasts with all of these other channels and these ways of getting the news it's um there's something for everyone
0: well, we're gonna talk about you as a CMO in a moment, but you know, I'm, I wanna follow this conversation right into sort of a big, big issue uh, before we talk about you as a CMO. And I, I wanna quote something that I've heard you say, which is very related to everything we're just talking about. And the quote is this, that you hope with your team and your brand, not just to reflect business, but to actually change the future face of business. Wow. And we've just been talking about really your purpose, right That's yep. that's how we open this conversation. Yep. so I'd like you to dive into that a bit and unpack that for our listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the first thing is, is is that i you know as an organization, just the the mission and the purpose is is just so central, right you don't have to you don't have to go looking for it. it's just it kind of imbued in everything um that that we do in that our newsroom do. So that's always been the reason why I've loved working in news because it's 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 um it's just so clear why people get out of bed in the morning and why they do what they do. But I think increasingly and particularly with a brand like The Journal, you do hear these amazing stories that the brand has played in people's lives in in from all walks of life. Um And that it can really have a very big impact on on people's careers, people's businesses, um, people's family lives. And I think today, when you think about it, kind of the recognition that actually the more diverse and the more broad and the more people that can use the Wall Street Journal, actually, the more opportunity it can create, the more successful they can be. And that feels really inclusive to me. That feels like... um, you know it it feels like something that can really uh, have have a have a really broad impact and i think our job within the marketing team is to try to get people early um we have a really big student education program um and to try to bring those kind of new audiences in and hope that by reading the wall street journal they kind of learn about the world of business they use it as a playbook they can make those business financial you know markets decisions investing decisions that have the opportunity to change, you know, their careers and, as I say, change what the future of business looks like as a result. So I think that that for me is a a real driver of what we're trying to do when we talk about growing our audience. It's not just growing our audience for the sake of growing our audience. It's growing our audience because the more people, in our view, that are reading The Wall Street Journal, then the the kind of the 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 greater business and by you know by um, by virtue of that the rest of the world can be and you can have a really big impact and a very positive impact and I think that's how when we think about you know particularly the role that we see business playing is that that positive impact and um, when Matt our editor talks about the role of the journal he talks about how actually our kind of we, we believe that business drives the world, right? And that everything else that you read about really is a result of what's happening in the world of business and money and finance. Um, and I think that's pretty unique.
0: We use the words brand purpose a lot in this podcast. And I, I just want to know, how do you talk about that, the Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Do you use the words brand purpose? Do you talk something else? How much does your team talk about it? How much do you talk about throughout the organization?
1: Yeah, so at Dow Jones, which is obviously the parent um, company, we talk a lot about how our mission is to be the number one source of truth and insight for decision makers, and um, and then we kind of follow that up with in in every aspect of life. So yes, business, but life in general. And again, the thing that we really love about that, and why you've got a mug that says "decision maker" on it, is we love the idea that actually everyone's a decision maker. You know, everyone needs to be empowered with the facts and information to make. Good decisions, um, and that's how we see our role at the journal. We kind of take that one step further, and when when Matt, our editor, talks about it, he talks about how um, we believe that um, you know tr- trusted insight, trusted business insight, is is good for the world and good for business, both our business and also. Business, you know, writ large, um, and I think that's the that that's kind of the unification, if you like, between the Dow Jones company purpose to be there and provide this mission, but also the journal's mission to then support that.
0: Yeah, how do you know you're making progress in it? This is a, an issue many people wrestle yeah. with.
1: Yeah, I mean, we trust, we we kind of track an awful lot of trust metrics. And that's what we see is really central. So we know that, you know, the journals that the US is most trusted newspaper. Um, it's something that, you know, again, when you kind of talk about how we go about doing our business and doing our reporting and how we're structured and how we're set up with a strict line between opinion and news, um, which operate completely independently. Um this kind of, this idea of trust is, is just so central. So we, we do an awful lot of tracking of trust, um, both kind of, you know, external tracking, but also internal tracking. And we kind of look to really understand how that trust metric then also impacts you know, people's consideration of the brand and their likelihood to subscribe. So that's a lot of the kind of efforts we put around it. But obviously, we're also very fortunate that we get a huge amount of customer feedback, <laughs> um, both through you know, the product itself, but also through our call centers and through our, through our online chat. So um, we're always kind of monitoring the, that kind of conversation and just understanding kind of how people are feeling about, about the journal.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to flip into your CMO and, and uh, Chief Membership offer. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good title. <laughs> and you've been in this role now seven years, which is a long tenure for a CMO, which the average, I think, is now, as the Wall Street Journal reports, somewhere under four years. Mm-hmm. So you're coming on double the normal tenure of a CMO. So you began your job in 2014, and you switched companies, and you switched continents yes. at that time which when I was at Procter & Gamble, when we did that to a leader, we called that a high-risk career move. So the chances Ooh. of, of you know, <laughs> stumbling are kind of higher, yep. which means you need to be sure that person has the right support. So how did that go personally and professionally, changing companies, changing continents?
1: Do you know what? I, so I've just, I'm just celebrating my 21 years at News Corp. Um, so I started at News Corp at the Times and the Sunday Times, um, kind of a year after leaving university. And so I think one of the things that's helped me is that I've known a lot of the people uh, across the company as I've kind of, you know, grown up for want of a better word. So um, I think in that way, I've had a brilliant support network across the business Um uh, that that kind of helped me hopefully not have that stumbling that stumbling moment um and i can't say enough about how exciting it was to move you know i never thought i'd get to live in new york um i was only meant to live here for 3 years i kind of that's the time frame that in my head i was going to stay in, and and do the job for and be here for but you know i mean it's just it's amazing right it's addictive and um and i just love being here and the thing about the job is that it just It never gets boring. Like working in news never gets boring. It's always a challenge. It goes through... Really interesting, different cycles. Um, but as a company um, and as an industry, I just think there's there's just always so much more opportunity. And I've been really fortunate that I've been able to step out, I suppose, of the of the of the straight marketing role and kind of move into building out the events business or move kind of building out uh, with our team on professional membership, our CEO council events, and and these kind of things. So there's just always been a constant. Um, you know opportunity and and new challenges um combined with the landscape in which we work which uh, never gets dull
0: did you get off to a fast start when you came into the journal and if not why not and if you did what did you do
1: i did i was really fortunate as i say that when i joined um i had worked previously with our ceo and um, our president so I knew I knew a lot of the players right which means that we had a very good sense of we had a big ambition we set a big goal to grow membership um, but I had a really good sense of, of of kind of what it was that I needed in order to be able to do that um, and we really set about you know from the from the ground up redefining what that team looked like in order to deliver against this new ambition and this new this new goal um and we so we started small we started with a really clear mission about how we were going to structure ourselves around the customer and what success looked like and you know we went from a team of you know 20 people or something to to now you know over 150 200 people across um, membership and marketing of, of all the different type parts of the business um driving that and um yeah, I think it was just being really clear on what it was that we were trying to achieve. And and the company goal was absolutely central to that. And, and since then, the goals have just got bigger. It's got more complex. It's got more interesting. But just always having our eye on, on you know, why we were here, which comes back to purpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and then really thinking about how do we structure ourselves to deliver it. And, and we've had a lot, of, a lot of success with that.
0: You have, and I want to get into that a bit more with you because it's such an issue so many CMOs wrestle with. You have this incredible brand, Mm -hmm. right? deep trust, deep brand equity, long history, and you have a core of loyal, loyal people like myself. Mm -hmm. But to grow, you need to keep those loyal users, but bring in lots and lots of new users. Mm -hmm. And they are going to have different interests, different passions, a different generation. So it's something that every brand I've been associated wrestles with. Every P&G brand, every LVMH brand, every automobile brand. And you've been managing that reasonably well from -hmm. from my look at the numbers. So what lessons have you learned, Susie, in keeping your base but expanding your appeal?
1: Yeah I mean I think um the coming back again to the mission of what we are there to do and what we found is that actually the thing that the thing that unites both our members and our prospects is this um is this uh, kind of role that the Wall Street Journal can play in helping them make these big life decisions and I think when you think of it like that actually what you see is that there is there are are some very kind of universal things that people need and and the brand really is a necessity for so many people in this space. Um, How that turns up can be different for different audiences, right? So um, it might mean that we are doing a piece around, you know, understanding, you know, investing versus something for somebody who is extremely experienced. But, but, But at the core of it, the, the what we're doing and kind of what we stand for is is still very much the same. Um and I think what we've been able to do in the in the last couple of years because of the amount of customer You know, data that people are willing to share with us as a membership brand is we've been able to think about more tailored and personalized experiences. So actually, you're not having to make the trade offs that perhaps you would have had to have once done. You've actually within the product experience, you're allowing people to say, okay, what industry are they working in? What profession are they working in? Whereabouts are they in their career? Are they still at college, etc, etc. And the more you can understand about that, then from the wealth of amazing journalism that the journal creates, you can create and tailor, um, you know, experiences that are, that are relevant for those audiences. So, I think I think staying true to who you are, um, but recognizing that, that that has breadth, and and how do you play that across all those different audiences is absolutely crucial.
0: So you're basically adding, if I put it in uh, big terms, products and services that appeal to this new audience and that are more personalized and I actually am I'm in one of your pilots so I'm actually experiencing that very live.
1: Oh fantastic. Oh good. That's that's exciting to hear. But yeah and I think the um you know the other thing that we see is that actually our core readers are such super fans that they will they will read you know what what the journal creates right they they read you know, deeply, you know, great kind of breadth and depth across the product. And so actually what you see is you've got more room to create an experiment for new readers and it still has, has huge appeal to your core readership. So I, I think it's a, I think often, in fact, it's true across. I think a lot, a lot of what we deal with the media, we make this false choice. You know, oh, it has to be advertising or subscription. It can't be both. I, I, I think that's untrue. And I think um, it's definitely untrue when we think about making sure that we keep our loyal audiences and also growing our future ones.
0: The second ish- issue that many CMOs are wrestling with that I want you to comment on is you have a big goal, I think, of doubling mm-hmm. your subscriptions. So just share a little bit about You know, what got you here likely won't get you there. You know, the famous adage that you've probably used many times in in the Wall Street Journal. What capabilities do you need to build? How does your organization need to shift? What are you doing to ensure that you meet that very, very aggressive goal on top of some good momentum you've already have?
1: Yeah, I, I think like lots of people, what you realize is that we've optimized so much by our, you know, individual um, capabilities and teams. And now it really has to be about collaboration and alignment and everybody working across the company together to be able to achieve those goals. So what you're seeing a lot more of is people taking on in you know, lots of different terms for admissions, squads, whatever, but real collaboration happening across news you know, product, tech, marketing, membership, all of those groups really working together to put the customer at the heart of the problem and saying, okay, how do we solve this through whether it's new pricing, new product experiences, new campaigns, uh, more personalization, et cetera. So I think that that kind of that's a, that's why that kind of goal is um, so fundamental and, and talking about the goal and understanding that goal, I think, because it really does drive. Alignment and clarity of what you're trying to get done across the organization.
0: How did you do that as a leader, Susie? That's easier yeah. said than done, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think um, you know whether I get it right all the time is another thing altogether. But I think um, trying to share that story, I think, um, is is just really important and why we're trying to do it and trying to find a way to talk about it that does resonate. Which again comes back to this purpose and this mission, which is. You know, when we talk about The Wall Street Journal, we've been around for over one hundred and thirty years we you know we want to make sure that we have a you know strong, profitable future where our journalism continues to play the role that it's it's been playing for the last one hundred and thirty years. and to do that, you have to have a you know a kind of a strong financial model and you have to have growth and I think you know, as a business, you can get everybody engaged in that, you know, everybody wants that, everybody wants the journal to be around for another 130 years. Um, and so I think starting with that, and then really clearly building out, okay, how, how are we going to get there? What are the steps to get there? What's, I love to look a goal in the eye, right? And I love to know, okay, you know, what can I see as the steps of how we're going to get there? And where is there potentially a gap? And okay, then we all need to get together to work out what are those ways that we can fill that gap. And I truly believe that the answers are in the room. You know, within the company, there are people that think about this and think about media and think about subscriptions, you know, day in, day out and have done for many years. And I think if you if you can get the question right and you can motivate people and create the environment where they want to share ideas, then, you know, you've got you, you kind of you've got
0: gold. You talked about when you came in, you had a staff of I don't know twenty five or so, and that's up now five or six fold maybe seven even seven fold every CMO would love to do that I mean how did you how did you grow that group? what was the business case what what new work does your group do that they were not doing in the beginning? Uh, if you think about the people you've added where are what are they good at where are they focused? so could you tell us a little bit about that you know, staffing investment yeah. and 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 how and what the rationale was and where you focused it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is is that I am directly responsible for uh, you know a rev- revenue lines, which is always the place where you want to be, right? If you're um if you're trying to you know merge. And and think about the role that marketing is playing. I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, as, as I know you and lots of other people are, but how marketing plays a role in really driving business growth. And so I think that combination of having the subscription revenue line, um, having the professional membership revenue line, you know, all of these things combined with marketing mean that, um, you, you're you're able to tell that narrative, and you're able to, to to kind of build that story and that success, and and that's what we've done, right? So we started purposely very small and set these big goals, and then set about you know achieving them. And you know the company and and um, and our CEO have just been fantastic at recognizing that, and then pushing us to do more and saying, you know, how can you how can you go even further? um and and that's how the team's grown and we've added on you know our events business when i when i started um i think it was in the kind of the first year i kind of took hold of the events business and changed it at first to be a more uh, thinking about pro- this professional membership so how you know how could we create an events business that wasn't just solely reliant on sponsorship but also had membership and um kind of consumer revenue within it and that's become you know a huge part and in the last year you know, virtual events has just meant that we've been able to reach even bigger audiences. And I think when you when you think about the role that the journal has in connecting and convening audiences, the virtual events have, you know, it was, it was a lot of work for the team to pivot, but we've now, you know, entering this hybrid world, which we can see where we will continue doing virtual events, but we will also have our beautiful live, you know, big big flagship events as well. But that's something that we didn't have. So it really has been building out new businesses and new ideas. And that's, again, why I love this company and I love media, because you get to you get to see those opportunities. And with a brand like The Journal, you get to kind of realize them.
0: When did you add membership to your title?
1: That was, I think, probably a couple of years in. So I, I kind of, as, as chief, chief marketing officer, I always had subscriptions. But we we made a conscious decision that we wanted to make the switch from talking about subscription to membership which is something that I've long felt in newspapers which is that newspapers are like clubs right they have that inbuilt in them there is this sense of community the sense of wanting to belong to um you know to align to its purpose and mission and you know to wear it like a badge if you like um and so it felt like and there's been lots of great stuff written about this about you know the move from a subscription economy to a membership economy but it felt like we wanted to move away from that transactional, you know, it's just about the point where we get somebody to convert to really thinking about the full life cycle um, and, and how we could keep people engaged um, you know, for, for a long time and, and really build kind of um, lifetime value. So that switch to membership, I think, and now thinking about people as members um, was really foundational
0: in the first couple of years. Are there any companies or people or processes that you studied as you built that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, it's really interesting when you get people in a room, right? And you talk about what do you feel like you're a member of? And even that gives you great insight. So people often talk about, um, you know, uh, very kind of local community things people often feel like they're members of. They can really associate and they can see the value. There's normally a head of that. You know, there's normally a face of that community, um, which I think is the role that our editors and journalists play um, at the journal. So that's that's a really interesting way just to start because people get very engaged and they understand it and they can see what you're trying to create um, and then people like uh Robbie Kelman Baxter's written some brilliant books about the membership economy um, that we've that we've kind of studied and spent some time with her. Um but again, a lot of it is thinking about what newspapers have always done, this sense of, you know, the letters page originally, you know, is a community notice board and in, in of sorts. And I think um we've just been able to build out in a lot of those existing uh ex, you know, existing methods and mechanics, but but building them out in a digital world.
0: For those people listening who would like to move from more of a transaction brand or a transaction company to more of a membership company, if there were two or three lessons in your journey, what would those be?
1: Um, I mean, I think it definitely has purpose in there and it has um and it also has data. You know, it has asking people, asking customers. I talked a bit earlier about their onboarding journey and journey and understanding, you know, the industry or the profession that they work in. But I think you have to really look to understand and look to ask questions and create a two way relationship. Um, and and that kind of two way relationship then for us, I think, is you know results in how you create that network between members and each other, which you definitely see in person at events, um, but also between us and the members. And that's a lot of the conversations that happen with our journalists. Um, or through you know live Q and A's and this kind of um, this kind of kind of digital uh, digital world that we're now in, but um, yeah, I think purpose, data, and then community are, are are central to it.
0: Anything you feel like you're a loyal member to outside the journal.
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. I would have, I would have actually at one stage said airlines, right? I would have Mm. said that relationship that you have with your airline, because I was obviously traveling back between, um, between here and the UK. But you hear people now talk about Peloton in that way, right? that's that's now an example that comes up an awful lot or soul cycle and those kind of tribal things um but no perhaps for me it started when I was you know subscribed to comics or something like that and you know you get the badge and the collectibles and all of those kind of things but
0: yeah yeah I think food's getting getting their act together on this I think you know I, I notice what my kids are really affiliating with and a lot of it is food ideas and interesting trends in food and wine and you know so that's an, I think I think that industry is waking up to the membership philosophy behaviors.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about how your job as CMO and membership officer is different perhaps than the CMO of, you know, a consumer company or a big tech company. What about it do you think is the same and what about it is different? You work with a lot of these people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think probably what's the same is that you are still the voice of the customer, right? You're still trying to to bring that into the conversations and still trying to look at the, um, you know, at growth with with that in mind. What's different about it is you are, you know, at the journal with you know a thousand plus journalists and you know editors who, um, ultimately you know craft the product and that it changes every single day. Um, and you also have to have huge respect for that kind of, that, that separation and that, that, um, you know, that there is a, that there's only, there's only so much information that I will share or so much information they'll share back because you have to make sure that you have this, you know, this kind of level of trust, um, for you and the reader. So, um, that's some of the things that I think are very different and, that 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 kind of purpose is is just so central to what you do um I think it's why we've why we've continued to to grow right And why the journal's bigger than it's ever been because right now people are looking for that people are looking for those trusted brands but um yeah so I think the relationship between the marketing leads and the products is different in news than it is in in lots of other categories um the other thing that I suppose is different is, although everyone I imagine will say that, you know, speed and times of the essence, but really in news, it, re- it really is. You you are changing um, what you're doing or you're responding to so many external factors. Um, and then I think with a brand like The Journal, the other thing is kind of recognizing where you should have a view and where you shouldn't. Because actually, you know, particularly at the moment, this is a great, you know, uh, uh, you know an increasingly important area for brands, as they think about how they tackle what's going on in the world, but for the journalist, it's really important. It's actually central to who we are that the journalism speaks, you know. And so, how do you get that balance? And I think that's why, you know, with the new with the new campaign around trust your decisions, it's really about our role is to provide the factual, you know, information and insights and quality journalism that empowers people to make those decisions rather than telling them what to do, um, and that's crucial
0: what's the biggest evolution in your job in seven years from when you came into it to now
1: um I think probably the role that uh well i mean the, the 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 revenue line itself right now subscriptions and um uh digital subscriptions are such you know a big part of the wall street journal and um so it's it's become increasingly that way with the growth that we've seen in the last um seven years. Um, so that's, that's a big change, but I think the, probably just the reliance on insight and data, you know, we've just got, we've got amazing, you know, data scientists who are able to tell us just fascinating things that, that we can then translate into marketing, um, campaigns and ideas. So I think just we, we've built that out. We always, we've always had great research teams, but the data and, and, um, uh, kind of insight teams around that I think has been a real has been a real change
0: you referred to a new campaign a few minutes ago and I think it's on my coffee mug yeah so I'd like you to talk a bit about uh, how you got there you talked about insights and data and how that's such so much more prevalent in how you yeah. work now how we all work so what insights what data led you to the campaign that you're just launching now yeah for your brand
1: um so yes yeah, so the campaign is the Wall Street Journal Trust Your Decisions that's the new idea and the new thought for the journal and um the it was it's been really interesting because we were looking for something that really did capture i suppose the the that you know was both timely and timeless as you know and it's said a lot but we were really wanting something that felt like that for the journal And when you look at so much of the insight around the journal, people do talk about it as this necessity. They talk about they need to read the journal and and you can make the mistake. I think I, you know, was at risk of making the mistake of not seeing that as something that which is really pretty amazing. Um, What a thing to have a brand where people say that they need it in that way and that that function and that role it plays in people's lives. And that's very different. You know, that's that that's very different to a lot of um, a lot of other media brands. So when we began to really explore that and you looked at why people felt like that, it was because it gave this information that helped them make decisions. Um, but I think the thing that's that, that's really special about the journal is this. Um, we do also believe in the agency of individuals to make up their own minds. So we really wanted to think about how could we talk about the role that the product plays Uh, in people's lives. But how can we also, and how can we bring together trust? Because that's such a a crucial part of how we operate and how we do what we do. But also thinking about the customer at the heart of it. Because I think, you know, part of the challenge can be with news brands as you think about, um, it can be very producer centric. You know, you, you can talk about the brilliance of journalism all the time. And that's true of the journal, but we really wanted something that had the customer at the heart of it. So trust your decisions Felt like it was just the, the a great articulation of that, and something that works across you know all formats as well. So obviously, increasingly, that's not just you know text, but audio, video, events, communities, tools, services, all of these things that has real breadth um, uh, to it. So, um, and it and we then began to explore how you use it in content marketing, and the combination of trust your source, trust your decisions, also feels incredibly powerful. So. We do a lot of work to obviously promote the journalism through um, through our channels. And it, it's just, it's going to be really exciting. But the, the the customer insight that that really made it feel timely was that when we looked at the difference between our prospects and our members, what we saw was that prospects had really postponed decision-making. So during the pandemic, they've been very nervous. You know, a large percentage of them are feeling financially worse off. Uh, as a result of the pandemic, versus our prospects who actually feeling quite good post the pandemic are ready to invest, are ready to make those moves, and actually in lots of cases are financially better off as a result of, of the last year. But the thing again that united both groups was the reason that they wanted the Wall Street Journal, was to help them make those decisions. So again, I think it comes back to how do we find these ways that unify both what we stand for, our existing audience, but also can have broad appeal to a, to a new audience and help us grow. And, and that's Trust Your Decisions.
0: How is the campaign going to come to life, Susie? What's your hope for it?
1: Uh, so we will, uh, we will bring it to life in, uh, in lots of you know beautiful out of home placements that have impact and bring some of that kind of, um, swagger, if you like, of the wall street journal and an iconic brand like the journal. Um, but it will be across all of our marketing. It will be across all of that content marketing that I talked about, all of the marketing that we do with the journalism, um, all of the marketing that we do to our members, um, and in a lot of kind of, um, direct kind of. Uh, showcasing of, of, of the kind of stories that we write. So we'll bring it to life um, in a very kind of hardworking, always on campaign. And I can't wait to see where it develops because I think there's also, uh, we've talked about the speed of news and how you know we really want to be able to embed that within the sense of the campaign. So how we respond to what's going on in the world um, also feels like it's going to be a really important part of it,
0: but yeah. Did you work this with an outside partner or did, did you do it internally?
1: Uh, We work with the AND partnership, um, who have been our agency, uh, for many years. We've worked with them, um, and obviously a broad team across the journal. We got some great insights from across the newsroom and across the business about what, what the, what the reporters and what the editors and, um, and others were looking for from the campaign, as well as the customer insights. And that really matters to us. It really matters that this is a campaign that is embraced. Um, across our advertising partners, across our uh, across our readers, um, and I think things like the you know the decision maker mug that you've got is a really um, you know it's it's a fun way to bring it to life, but it is how our readers talk about um, themselves and how they see themselves um, in that kind of in that position wherever they are in their career.
0: You're in such an interesting spot, Susie, where you're looking at customers and your team. So I'd like you to sort of step back and we've all been through a unique year, Mm. maybe the most difficult for many, many of us, I think, a year in our career. So as you look at what's happened over the last 14 months or so, what are you hopeful about for business at large? And what are you worried about?
1: Um, What am I hopeful about? I, I I, I, I think people generally do want to do good. And I think what you can see is that, you know, good business comes back to actually what Matt, the editor says, right? It's good for business, you know, doing good is is good for business. And so I think, um, I have a lot of trust in businesses, um, doing that. And I think you've seen that, um, you know, throughout the year with the amazing work that businesses have done to help people during the pandemic, um, so I feel very positive about that and the role that business can play for for good um, in in communities and in, in people's lives. Um, I don't know whether I'll share my worry list with you. I think, um, you know, I think that there is that, that there I think it's really important that coming back to trusted sources. Right. I think it's really important where people get their information from. And I think. Um, this you know last year or so has also shown that um so if i was to say about the things that i worry about i do worry about you know what that relationship is between people and media um and social media and the role that um you know platforms play in uh you know in, in people's lives um and how you know i think one of the other things that i we read an awful lot about that i feel passionate about is local news like how do we you know how does what's the future of local news and how can we keep those communities and those news brands alive? Um, And, and yeah, how's, how's that going to play out? That's something that worries me because I think it's such a source of talent um, and, you know, such a, been such a, yeah, important part of how big brands like the wall street journal have come about, have come about from, you know, the talent that you find through local news, as well as the, the role they play in communities. Well,
0: we could talk a lot more about that, but we won't. We're going to shift to the last <laughs> section of this podcast, which we call the creative brief, where we just try yeah. to come reveal some insights about our guests that are helpful and interesting and fun for our listeners. Yeah. So the first one is, Susie, you studied fashion at university. Yes. And you pretty quickly went into news journalism. Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I think I just like shopping. I think that was the mistake that I made. Um, so I loved, um, you know, I went in, I've always been, you know, I did all the, um, you know, arts at school and I, you know, love that creativity and I love the fashion industry. Um, and then I did a, a degree around it and I quickly realised that actually, you know, it, I was not, that was not my talent. That was not my thing. Um, but during that, I did a, um, a, you know, I did work experience at a magazine, at a fashion magazine um, and I always loved media and I always loved, you know, newspapers because I liked reading about that world. Um, and I did that and I thought that this is, this is kind of a bit more, this is a bit more me. Um, and then I actually applied for my job at the, um, at the Times and the Sunday Times, applying to an ad that was in the back of the Sunday Times, um, looking for graduate trainees. So reading the papers got me, got me the job and got me where I am today.
0: Fantastic. I have to say the journal has leaned into fashion a bit more in the last seven years. You may have something to do with that.
1: (laughs) No, I think, uh, I mean, Christina O'Neill and the magazine, right, is just such a beautiful, um, beautiful um, product. But yeah, um, that's always a joy to read. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. So the Wall Street Journal is famous for its dot ink portraits.
1: Mm -hmm, The stipples.
0: Do you have one of those of yourself?
1: I do. Yes.
0: Do you like it?
1: Uh, I do like it, yes, it's very flattering yes, <laughs> very good
0: you you did one of me and and my wife has never liked it. She said it didn't quite get you, and I said, oh, yeah, I think it's very good, oh, so it's been a point of discussion in our household, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe we can do a new one. We'll see
1: exactly, exactly now, and I'm sat in the office now, and actually we've got amazing stipple kind of drawings and portraits you know ac- across the walls, and they they are just iconic and beautiful, so yeah, part you know, of your brand great. right part of the brand, yeah, yeah. It
0: sure is, yeah. Now, you're on the board of the International News Media Association. Mm-hmm. What have you learned in that role?
1: Oh, God, just that there's so much innovation across the world, right? You can think that working for a big brand like the Wall Street Journal that you know it all, and then you get in a room with people from newspapers across the world, and the things that people are doing, and the passion that people have to keep you know news alive and growing and thriving is is just amazing. So... Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a joy to, to learn what, you know, um, you know, what, what people are doing in different countries, um, and the similarities, you know, the challenges and similarities are also, um, interesting. Um, but it's a great, it's a great community of people and, um, you know, all with the same passion for, for keeping, you know, the kind of news industry alive and kicking and growing. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good thing. And it's also been a great way to meet new talent and to, and to showcase our own talent, which I love. I love the fact that we get to put our own people who've done amazing work on stage and they get to share that knowledge, um, you know, with a, with a broader community. So I can't, I can't recommend it enough.
0: So I've heard you love laughter are not mm-hmm. a planner are very low in ego and extremely outcomes focused. What have you been told by people closest to you is your one special gift as a leader?
1: Um, I think the nicest uh, thing that somebody has said to me that, um, is that I'm able to balance heart and head. Um, and I think that is yeah i i i like that i like that I like to create an environment that is um that gets the best out of people and i and I think that you do that by creating a place that people feel safe um and I know you know now that's that's written about a lot as you know psychological safety and all these things but for me it's just about I want people to enjoy coming to work you know I've never not wanted to come to work, and I've been so fortunate that the people I've worked for have created this environment that has just made it fun. And I, I think that, you know, particularly working in news, actually, where over the years there's been some really tough, you know, things either because of the challenges of the job or because of the things that, the, you know, the, the are happening in the news that you're close to. Um, there is, ne- I, I don't think there are many times that you can't get a laugh out of something. Um, and I think that's really important. I think that's how you get honest, you know, people talk about, you know, high trust is high speed. And I, I, I truly believe that.
0: What do you do to make it enjoyable for your team to come to work?
1: Um, God, maybe you have to ask them, maybe they'll say, Oh, it's not. But I think what I try to do is, is uh, understand who they are. You know, I, I, again, I think making time at the start of a meeting to have conversations about how people are, um, there is there's always time for that I, and i think you know you always get more out of a meeting when you make some time for that and being able to comment on some of those things that are you know hilarious that happen during the course of the course of the day is really is really important so i think people could you could miss um you could you would you would make a mistake if you if you ever thought that my general you know jolliness um was you know it, it's balanced with a real, I, I I really like to deliver results. So, you know, I think, but I think there is a way to do both. I really believe that.
0: I'm reading a few books right now. One of them is a new book by Jennifer Ocker at Stanford and a woman named Naomi Bogdanis. And it's about humor in business. Mm. And it's an academic study of humor in business. Yeah. And makes a pretty strong case for, you know, just the fun and lightheartedness contributes to more creative thinking more energy and more positive business results
1: yeah i i I truly believe that and as i say i've been so lucky that the people i've worked with have shared that over the years that we've been able to create that environment and i just think it means that you you know what better way to give feedback than than being able to also you know create that environment where you can you can laugh about some of the things that you that you do or you know how some of the you know Things that you say, I, I think that's really, really important, and never be, never be scared of saying that you don't know. I think that's also a very news thing. I think there's a there's a there's a curiosity that runs through um, people that work in the business that it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to not know, and to try to find out more. Um, and that that kind of yeah, that that's also important, I think, in terms of, of the environment that we work in.
0: Most inspiring person in your life.
1: Um, I will say, so it's very, it's, I'm not going to say my mum or my dad, although they are incredibly inspiring, but I'm going to say Katie Vanek-Smith, who was my first, um, uh, kind of, you know, maybe not my first, but like my second or third boss, but was my boss for a good 10, 15 years, um, through News Corps. Um, and she just, she, you know, people talk about how the greatest gift you can give somebody is to say that they can do something. And she constantly said to me that, you know, you can do this. And she'd be, always be making me uncomfortable and making me do things that I didn't want to do, um, pushing me to do more. Um, but I have, uh, yeah, I think she's, I would, yeah, she's, she's amazing. So her.
0: how did she handle when you stumbled?
1: Um, probably also a lot of laughter yeah. <laughs>
0: um
1: you know a lot of um um but it was fine too right so again i think I think the interesting thing about that my relationship there though is that you know i we we're obviously we're extremely close friends um and but I always even when I was working for her, I always wanted to impress her, and i think that's that's kind of that balance i think is really interesting how you can work for somebody, know them you know extremely well, you know but still I would always want to turn up to a meeting with her with everything nailed and I'd want to impress her and I think that's I think that's you know a great a great working relationship where you want to turn up for people and you want to you want to support them and you want to impress them and you want to deliver results for them and I hope that's what we create as a team.
0: Yeah it's all about standards right and and not yeah. wanting to let someone down and that's yeah. I think when a great leader's kind of embed that feeling in their staff. You don't want to let them down because you believe in them. Yeah. And you and you want us all to do well.
1: Exactly. And we talk about that a lot now. Almar our CEO and I we talk about this, you know, this push for excellence. And what a brilliant thing that is, right? Is to is to say how can we be truly excellent? And we and you know, you don't do it all the time. You don't get there all the time, but to ask how can you be truly excellent? And then to you know, there's a there's a great quote, you know, are you good enough to get better? Like you that's that's the way yep. I think as a team. We we want to we want to operate, and it's okay if you get it wrong. If you're able to talk about, well, I could have done that better, or I could have done that differently. And I learned that really on I'm really early on. I remember when, you no, know, you'd be thinking about at the times you used to try to get stuff promoted on the front of the newspaper, and you'd you know send endless emails to editors asking to try to get this promotion on the front of the paper. What I realized was if if you didn't go downstairs and sit with the people whilst they were doing the front of the newspaper then you hadn't done everything you could to make sure that it was on the front of the newspaper. And that kind of sense of responsibility, I think is really important for people. And I'd encourage that in, in everybody to take real responsibility for, for the outcomes.
0: Susie, thank you. Thank you. This has been a joy. It's been useful. You've, you've made me smarter <laughs> and, and a better decision maker, I think.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: That was my conversation with Susie Watford. Here are the three takeaways to think about in your business and life. The first one, adopt a membership mentality as you think about your brand. Susie talked about the acceleration of the Wall Street Journal being about membership and thinking about their subscribers as members. So if you were to think about how to build a club or membership around your brand, what different actions would you take? Second takeaway, create an environment with your team of enjoyment. Susie bounces out of bed to work in the morning. She makes it a point to ensure her team is having fun, enjoying work, bringing high energy, bringing their whole self to work. Third takeaway, project some personality into your brand for God's sake. I love the story about the first brand that made an impact on Susie. It was a trucking company. We've never heard that before in the podcast. And the reason she loved the trucking company as a kid was they had all sorts of graphics on their trucks. The drivers dressed up. They took a commodity, trucking, and put a lot of personality into the brand and into the employees. A lesson for all of us. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.